So we are in Faith Foundations. This is the eighth week of 14, which will take us all the way to the children's Christmas program, if you can believe that. Um, but we're, uh, the Lord really instructed us to reinspect the foundations, not to see where they were broken, but to see how strong of a foundation He has given us so we know what we're building on. Um, and so we are been looking at different aspects and different graces that God has given us. And this morning, um, we are going to be, let's see if I can get this. Yes, I'm still learning. Um, we're going to be looking at holiness. Now, this might be a, a scene from the start of hyperspace in Star Wars, and I'm not uh, uh, trying to uh, make this a representation of God, but I am trying to make a point about holiness. This message is holy from the inside out. Holy is not a word that means stuffy. It's not a word that means it has a stance of somebody's arms folded watching everyone else do the wrong thing, but I'm going to do the right thing. Holy is a word in Hebrew. The Hebrew word is kadash, and it really is a description that is reserved for God himself. He alone is holy. Holy means sacred. It means shining, clear, bright, radiant, pure, full of glory. Notice I never said boring or legalistic. My favorite description of holy is infinitely brilliant. My kids are learning to memorize various passages of Scripture at Christ Classical Academy right across the way, and they're learning a passage from Isaiah um, right now where, you know, my five-year-old Joshua, he loves us, and the house was filled with smoke, right? Um, but, uh, and, and the posts of the doors were shaken, and the, to him who cried out, and there was seraphim, and they had six wings, and two covered their eyes, and two with they covered their feet, and with two they flew, and the voice of the Lord surrounded, and they said, what? Holy, holy, holy. What's the rest? Come on, come on. You're all speaking in tongues. Okay. No. Uh, the seraphim circle around. It is not a mundane, vain repetition that they circle the throne and say, holy, 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 forever. How boring is that? No. Literally, they are, it, it, because God is infinitely brilliant, as they circle the throne they catch glimpses of his creativity, his imagination, his power, his love, the way he intervenes in the lives of the people of God and the earth, the way he holds the universe together with the word of his power. They literally see new expressions of his holiness, his radiance, his glory. And so they aren't just saying the same old thing over and over again. They're saying something new. But the only way we could understand it in that context is that all they can say is holy. But they are recognizing something new all the time. That's holy. That's what God has in store for you and me.
This is you. Ain't life peachy? Um, my parables are not quite like Jesus's parables as they eventually will break down. Um, but for the sake of this morning, um, the peach is a triune fruit. So there is a stone or a pit in the middle, which is the source of life. That's like our spirit. There is a juicy middle. That's what we would consider when you think of a peach, right? You think of the edible experience, the dominant experience. The peach the, is the... Uh, the part that we enjoy, that would be like our soul, our mind, our will, emotions, our intellect, our imagination. It's what we experience. Our experience of life is so much determined by that. And there is our, the skin, which is what is seen. It's our earth suit. It's like our body. And so some three really big theological words. We're going to get into a very dense passage of Scripture, which uh, is... Well, it's dense, but it's incredibly powerful, and we're going to draw out some very simple and amazing truths that I think will help in our life today. But there are three kind of really big words. One is righteousness, the other is holiness, and the third is sanctification. So righteousness describes our new spiritual nature. It's literally when you and I are stones, the center of us, before we receive Jesus, the stone is rotten. The pit has been marred by sin and decay. And because of that, what happens to our mind, our will, emotions, our intellect, our imagination, our soul? What happens to that? It experiences rot and decay. Life doesn't taste so good. And it also has effects in our body. We can see it. But when we are made righteous, literally it says Jesus said he, he would take out our heart of stone, our stone from the center, the source of the rot, and he would put in us a heart of flesh, or basically he would restore the center of you and I to something that's life-giving, that's whole, that's in right relationship with him. That doesn't mean that all of the decay that you and I feel in our mind, our will, emotions, our intellect, and our imagination are instantly gone. It means that our bondage to it because our spirit has been made new is no longer present. Holiness in the New Testament describes the ex our desired experience of life. God's desire for you and me is that we would experience holiness to be set apart, to be blameless, to be pure and whole in our soul and body. And sanctification describes the Holy Spirit's work of taking the righteousness in our stone, our seed, the center, and translating it into our soul and our body. Literally, he takes the victory that Jesus won over death, over sin, over sickness, over decay, over the works of darkness, and he translates it out of the spirit into our soul and into our body so that our experience today, we can bring eternity, not just from something that we look forward to after we die, but it brings eternity into today. Amen. The Holy Spirit is described, one, as a Holy Spirit. His function is holiness. 
His function is to lead us into all truth. His function is a down payment, a guarantee that would keep us. Because if all Jesus did was give us that new stone, we would get to heaven. We would make it to eternity. But if our experience of life in our mind, our will, our emotions, our intellect, and our imagination is still rotten, most people would fall away. The job of the Holy Spirit is a guarantee to keep us, to lead us all into truth, and to bring the eternity, the amazing power of what Jesus did into our soul and our body, into our experience of life, for us and for all those around us, that many might be saved and that many would taste and see and know that the Lord is good. So we're going to talk about a dense passage of Scripture. Paul was an amazing theologian, and we're going to look at a passage in Romans chapter 6, verses 6 to 23. I know that's a long passage, but I'm going to just declare the word of the Lord over you today in its entirety in this passage, this whole thought, and then we're going to draw out five key words from it and end with communion. So if you have, I just want to read it, this, not a scripture, this is scripture, but I've taken what's here and I've put it here so I can read it easily and not lose my place. Verses 6 to 23. Whoops. We know that our old selves were crucified with Christ so that sin would lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. The word of this passage is no. K-N-O-W, not no as in go to bed early. Verse 10, when Christ died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should reckon yourselves dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Word number two, reckon. Verse 12, do not let sin control the way you live or give in to selfish lust. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, yield yourself completely to God by the work of the Holy Spirit. For you were dead, but now you have new life. Use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Word number three, yield. Sin is no longer your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well then. Since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to holiness. 
Thank God, once you were slaves to sin, but now you wholeheartedly follow the teaching we have given. You are free from your slavery to sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I am using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin, but now you can give yourselves as slaves to righteousness so that you will become holy. Word number four is obey. Verse 20, this is the last one. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now, since you are free from the power of sin and have freely become slaves of God, you receive your present reward in holiness and its end in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The fifth word is receive. If I had to condense it all down to one sentence, let's read this together with all the five words. Let's read it together and shout it out. No, your old self is crucified with Christ. Reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to God. Yield yourself to the work of the Holy Spirit. Choose to obey and receive your present reward of holiness ending in eternal life. No, reckon, yield, obey, receive. This is the work of sanctification by the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life. So let's start and go through each of these briefly. No, your old self is crucified with Christ. This is verse six. We know that our old selves were crucified with Christ so that sin would lose its power in our lives. Did you know that when you know something, what does that mean? You own it. If you know it, you own it. My voice started to sound funny on that. It's just full of passion. When you know something, what do you do? No one can convince you otherwise. When you know it, you act like it's true. I mean, if you know the Dodgers are going to win the World Series, you, you start celebrating now. <laughs> you spent... 24 years having to hear about the Chargers, and now you are going to hear about a winning team. You know, after I got saved, after I got saved, after I received Jesus, the Holy Spirit convinced my heart that the gospel was true. The first two things that I saw that really needed a touch from the Lord was my drug addiction and my codependency with girls that I dated. I had this really soul ties with other people. And when I knew 
that the gospel was true. I knew that my old self was crucified with Christ. I did something in each of these areas to demonstrate that. Nobody told me to do it. This wasn't because I went through a class. Nobody preached from the front and said, you should do this. But I took all of my drug paraphernalia and everything that I had, and I took it out to the parking lot behind the house where the apartment where I was living, and I crushed everything. I squashed, I mean, glass and every kind of, everything was destroyed, and I burned it. And why? Because I knew that the power of sin was broken over my life, and I could walk in victory over it. I didn't have all the theological language for it. I didn't, couldn't articulate it from the front of a church. But I knew that sin was broken off my life. And I set it out there and I did something. And guess what? After that moment, I never experienced one symptom of withdrawal from drugs. I can't, and it's not because, it, it's not because of me. It's because the truth is the truth, and I simply demonstrated for myself and for every demon in hell that sin was broken off my life. And so when you do that, you, you, you are walking in the faith you've been given. The second thing on the soul ties is that I used to wallow and marinate in these really sappy horrible songs that glorify this longing and this pining about making another person your savior other than Jesus. And I dwelled on it. I meditated on it. I worshiped it. I mean, if you could say, and it it was like an idol in my life. And that's why every relationship I had was disastrous and broken, not only for me, but for the other person and for families. I mean, it was, it was horrible. Well, because I'm a musician, there is this, this pull that this music, I use that music as this kind of this wallowing ground to, to just feed my, my sin, my codependency. And I took a binder, $1,000 worth of CDs that I had spent my own money on, and I microwaved each one and watched it explode. <laughs> not because anyone told me to. This is not a legalistic thing. But I, I was like, I am not, I, I'm not, I have no, I'm not, I'm not saying not ever to listen to secular music. Don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. I, I'm not saying that. I am saying that for me, That music, not just any secular music, but that music, my music, owned me. And it had to be destroyed. Because Jesus destroyed the yoke from me. So I had to act it. I did something. I knew it, so I demonstrated. I knew it, so I started to do something based on what I knew. But was that the whole story? No. There was other rot in my mind, will, emotions, intellect, and imagination. There was other rot in my soul that I didn't see yet. But I had to get those two, like, it was like that was the down payment. I had to get the soul ties thing right really quick. I didn't know because I would meet Michelle six months later. And if I hadn't dealt with that, you know, 
probably all would have been lost, at least for me. Um, There was other rot I didn't see. And just because the rotten stone in the peach was replaced, I I was given a spirit that was made righteous. It did not immediately clear up all of the rot in my life experience, in the juicy middle, if you will say. There was still a reckoning. Verses 10 and 11. When Christ died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should reckon yourselves dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Reckon does not mean to observe. Have you ever wondered why, even after you were born again, there was still rot in your life? I've wondered that. I think Paul wondered that. But he also preached the word. He declared the glory and the promise of God in this and the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Reckoning means to wrestle with, to calculate, to deeply consider and come to a conclusion. Reckoning is uncomfortable. It takes work. And this is where we lose heart. We might know and we see this testimony and then we find out later that there's other places of rot and we're like, what gives? Why? Why? There's a reckoning. But if you and I take our pain and we go just commiserate on it, we never get free. If we take our pain to the word and we reckon with it, with the word of God, we get free. Because the Lord only reveals what he wants to heal. He doesn't reveal to embarrass you. He doesn't reveal to make you feel unworthy or aimless or useless. He reveals so that you will reckon yourself dead to sin. You will reckon with his word. Because you've been given a new spirit, you can receive that word. Reckoning requires hungry time in the word. I discovered that, you know, one of the gifts God has given me is a gift to relate to people, to articulate, to communicate. But when that gift is unsanctified or it's under the influence of sin and decay from before I received Jesus, it can be used to manipulate. It can be used to come up with all kinds of vain imaginations. I had to reckon with that vain, those vain imaginations, because I got to a point even before I was saved where I really didn't know where my fantasy started and reality ended. It was hard for me to even keep my own fantasies straight, my own stories and life of, you know, that was created. I mean, I would almost rewrite my own history as it was happening. And that's not everyone's sin. I'm just saying for me, I had to reckon with that with the Word of God. I had to go to the Word over and over and reckon with it. I had to judge myself and to look into my own heart, to consider my own ways, and to behold the state of my mind, my will, my emotions, intellect, and imagination, and not turn away and allow the Lord to do something in me. And there is more reckoning to come. I'm not done reckoning. You don't 
get done reckoning at some point. We are going to reckon with God's word until we graduate to glory. But the good news is, is that we do not reckon alone. We reckon with the spirit of Jesus. We reckon with the Holy Spirit. Verses 12 and 13. Do not let sin control the way you live or give in to selfish lust. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. That part of your body is not necessarily a physical party. It says, he's not referring to a physical part. It's, do not let any area of your life be an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, yield yourselves completely to God by the work of the Holy Spirit, For you were dead, but now you have new life. Use your whole life as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sanctification is a process of big steps and little steps, major encounters and everyday changes. But that's why he's called the Holy Spirit. His function is to bring us into holiness so that we might taste and see this unbroken fellowship, that we might experience the goodness of God in the land of the living. Because in that, that's where the goodness is shared around the globe. As we yield and repent, the Holy Spirit sanctifies. And he continues to remove the rot in our soul, our mind, will, emotions, intellect, and imagination. He removes the rot there and in our body, and he ushers in holiness through and through to every area of life. That's why Jesus prayed. In John 17, he said, I pray that the Holy Spirit would sanctify you through and through, meaning that he would complete the good work that he started in you with the righteousness of you being born again. He would take the seed the finished work of the cross, and he would permeate your entire existence with it. Through and through. One thing that I reckoned with was the dishonoring of my parents. I spent most of my life as an adolescent rebelling and bringing shame on the family name and making life very difficult for them and giving them lots of gray hair. Luckily, my dad's lost almost all of his gray hair, so you can't. He'll slap me later when he listens to the MP3. Um, but I spent months reckoning with that, repenting of it. And, and it, it was this, this, uh, this seed of destruction in my life. And I remember on a Wednesday night at the old building out by the airport, I remember in, in worship, I remember the Holy Spirit whispering to me and said, Jeff, do you want to be made clean from dishonor? Because I'd been repenting of it. But I yielded to the Holy Spirit in that moment and I went forward when nobody else was going forward. And Pastor James came forward and I didn't tell him what I needed prayer for. He just placed my hand on my heart and there was an impartation. There was a sanctifying encounter. And literally, it felt like every muscle in my body was vomiting and convulsing. And this, the rot that was in my soul was removed and made whole and made right. And in that moment, I knew that the dishonor that I had sowed was healed. Healed. 
Yet the dishonor still remained in the relationship. It was healed in my heart first. Because the next thing, even after we yield, sanctification is not done. We have to choose to obey. Verse 16, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to holiness. He's talking to believers. He's not talking to the world. He's talking, as a believer, you can still elevate the rot that's in your soul and be a slave to sin, even though sin has no power over you. You become a slave of whatever you choose to obey. When the Holy Spirit revealed that to me, when he healed and removed all of the dishonor out of my soul and cleansed me in that area of my life so that I could be an instrument of honor, an instrument of righteousness, I still had to go and reconcile with my parents. I still had to go and confess to them, even when I had been healed inside. And therefore, the sanctification that God worked from my spirit into my soul could then extend to the relationships and that he could make right all that was broken. He could make the valleys high, the mountains low. He could do the work and extend the work into the earth. It's not done. The work of sanctification is not done until you obey. You know. You reckon, you yield, you obey. And the good news is at the end, you receive your present reward of holiness ending in eternal life. Verse 22 says, but now since you are free from the power of sin and have freely become slaves of God, you receive your present reward in holiness and its end in eternal life. Have you ever described holiness as a reward? You know, you are not sanctified from a bunch of stuff to be empty and alone and isolated and having no fun and no adventure. You are sanctified not from something, but for something. You are sanctified for Him. You are sanctified for your experience relating to God and to your fellow women and men on the earth. Holiness is better and sweeter and more peaceful and more joyful than any other existence. Holiness determines so much of our experience with God in the earth, and holiness determines so much of how we relate to others and what we can share. And there is a direct link, and we're going to get into this next week, between the holiness that we experience in our soul and body and the power that we walk in. When we are constantly cohabitating with rot in our soul, it is very difficult to walk in power. That is not condemnation. That is an invitation. The work of sanctification is we know we, are, we have decided, we are fully convinced that we are crucified. Our old selves are crucified with Christ. And ushers, can you help me with and pass out communion? We're going to take communion and we'll be done in about seven minutes.
We know that our old selves were crucified with Christ so that sin has lost its authority and its power over us. We reckon ourselves dead to sin by bringing our pain to the word of God and holding up the righteousness and completed work of Jesus always as the mirror to our experience. We reckon with it. Then we yield to the work of the Holy Spirit to heal us and take out the rot from our soul and make us whole and make us peaceful and make us prosperous and make us like a big juicy peach that has no blemish. And then we choose to obey and walk out what we've received from the Holy Spirit. And then we receive the reward of holiness today. Our present reward is holiness. It is relationship with God that's unbroken. It's unmarred by rot. And that's end is in eternal life. So let's say it together. No, your old self is crucified with Christ. Reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to God. Yield yourself to the work of the Holy Spirit. Choose to obey and receive your present reward of holiness ending in eternal life. No, reckon, yield, obey, receive. No, reckon, yield, obey, receive. Over and over until you graduate to glory. This is the starting place for sanctification. This is why Jesus, I believe, one of many reasons why he said to do this in memory of him so that we would recalibrate and reset our thoughts, our mindsets, our feelings that are so easily led off course back to the beginning to know that Jesus freely, not because he had to, but because he wanted to, because of the joy set before him, he freely was broken for our iniquities. He was bruised for our transgressions. He was whipped and chastised for our sin. When your teeth crush this bread, remember that his body was crushed for your sin. Freely. Not out of obligation. Out of love and joy. Because by his stripes, you were healed. We eat together. Jesus also took the cup. And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. It is poured out for you and for many for the remission 
of all sin. This cup made not only your sin and my sin, but the effects of sin null and void as if it never happened. This cup is how we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. We testify to the work of the blood in our life and in the world. We drink to you, Lord Jesus. If you can all stand together, prayer team, can you come forward? I'm going to pray a blessing over you. And if you need prayer, if you need to come to the altar to do business with God or to receive prayer of agreement or healing, the Holy Spirit has led you to a place or to a moment today where you feel that he is leading you to an encounter of sanctification. Don't leave today without yielding to him. Heavenly Father, we bless you this morning. We bless you this morning. We bless you this morning that you didn't just give us a salvation for someday, but you gave us salvation today. And God, over this family, this assembly, I pray in the name of Jesus for the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to go through and through that we might experience our present reward of holiness today and every day. In Jesus' name.